morning we're going to pick up our lesson in 1 Thessalonians. Talk about the rapture of the church. We'll start here. Yeah, it's up here someplace, right? <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who, are, who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the, by, the, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore... Comfort one another with these words. Okay. <clears throat> you notice that uh, nowhere through here, this uh, passage I wrote, the word rapture came up. Well, that's because rapture is from the Latin raptura, which is, was used in the Latin Bibles coming out of the, the Vulgate. And it was used for the Greek word harpazo, which is the word translated caught up in verse 17. Now that word harpazo, caught up, means a sudden forcible uh, seizure. It's, just, it's not a casual, let's just float on up to heaven, okay, with the little harps and things. No, it's a whoom. <laughs> You're just picked up and launched into heaven, okay? Now, the purpose for this teaching, we can see it in verse 13 and 18, verse 13 Number one, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. And then 18 says, comfort one another with these words. Now we have to look at, we have to consider who the Thessalonians were. Number one, they were looking for the second coming. I mean, you can see that in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, uh, where Paul really just extols on them how wonderful they're doing. And one, another thing they were doing, which is a good thing, was to wait for his son from heaven, whom he had raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then 2, 2.19 says, for, for who is our hope or joy or a crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? So in other words, they were looking for the coming. They were anticipating the coming. And it says it again in chapter 3. But, um, and as we should be looking for the coming. Matter of fact, in last week we talked about it in, our, in communion. We celebrate his, we celebrate the communion until he comes. And we, we look, we celebrate it. We look for it. We long for it. Because um, <clears throat> when he comes back, he will then come and take up the position of glory that he deserves. Well, he will assume the position in front of the entire world as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that is our anticipation. It's not just 
the good things are going to happen to us, which are really unfathomable. We can't imagine how wonderful it's going to be for us. But for sure, we don't know. One thing we do know, the saints will hear. You know, And in that respect, the noise will be so loud, it'll wake the dead. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good question. We're going to look at some passages about the trumpet of God. And especially there's an Old Testament passage. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading. It's such a neat passage. Uh, but anyway, don't go looking ahead. <laughs> but no, it's uh, for, without a doubt, his people will hear that trumpet. His people will hear that voice. And we're going we're gonna to read some passages this morning that's going to talk about voices and trumpets and so forth in, in connection with this very event. So, now it's talking about um, who are asleep. Now that term asleep refers to those Christians who have already passed away. And that caused, in verse, like, uh, chapter 4, verse 15, um, says, uh, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive shall remain until the coming of the Lord, and not shall precede those who have fallen asleep. This was a common designation back then for those who have died. Okay? And what the Thessalonians, basically, they're, uh, they're worried, and it's, it's don't grieve, and that word grieve uh, means be in distress, sad, sorrowful. And he says, as the rest who have no hope. Of all people, we believers have hope. Okay? We have hope. There's, and, and, and what is hope? It's not like the world or like we even use hope in our everyday conversation like gee i hope it works out okay no that's not biblical hope hope is anticipating and relying on the fact that this will happen see that's not hoping that's knowing hope is a byproduct of faith because of faith we have hope we know our we know our future okay right we know what we have believed and are convinced he is able to perform it. It's going to happen. See, that is, that is biblical hope. Now, verse 14, and this is important. It's only, uh, if we believe, it's only for true believers, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Verse 14, uh, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring, him, bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Again, believers have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, what will actually take place? Well, in verse 15, which says, by the will of the Lord, the following uh, things are being taught. I've already read it. So I'm just going to go through our list down here. And it says, one thing to remember is those who are alive will not precede those who are dead. And that was the Thessalonians concerned. Remember, they were a very young church. Very young. Then there's, uh, you know, various thoughts as to how young, but they were very young. Remember, you read through the, through the whole uh, letter, and uh, Paul tells us the story, how they were there for a short time, and then they had to leave, and they were worried about them because they didn't hear anything, so he sent Timothy back there, and said, Timothy, check on them, see how they are. 
And Timothy brings the report back that these guys are flying. I mean, they're, they're doing great. I mean, they're out there, not only are they learning, but they're witnessing and their testimony is spreading throughout the entire area. And so they were doing good, but they, being a young church, they didn't understand, you know, they weren't taught everything. I mean, uh, let's face it, you could be a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years and not be taught and learn everything there is to know that this book teaches. And so what they didn't understand is about, because they were anticipating the second coming so quickly, says, well, they're looking for the physical return of Christ. All right. And so uh, <clears throat> they're concerned. Now, what about our fellow saints who have passed away? They miss out on this? What happens to them? They're gone now. See, they were kind of, they were confused about that, that whole doctrine, of the second coming. So they, they were kind of on the assumption that, you know, Jesus is going to come back real soon. And take us all away. Well, that's not really what Scripture teaches now that we have the completed canon, which they did not. <laughs> okay? And remember, Thessalonians is one of the earlier letters that, that Paul wrote. So we're early on in the Christian era. And so to not worry about it, you know, thankful these people were concerned about their fellow believers. But as Paul said, no need, no need, don't worry, nobody's going to get left out. And it just, uh, so those who, are, those who are alive will not precede those who are dead. We're all going, and as, as this portion of Scripture teaches us, we're all going together at the same time. Now, and then it goes on, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. We're going to look into that in a little bit. And his appearing will be with a great, with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Interesting. The dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 16. Now verse 17 says, Then those who are alive will be caught up together with, with the risen dead. In other words, the graves open up, or maybe they don't, but those bodies are coming out. Wherever they're buried, whether it's in the bottom of the ocean, and whether it's in a grave that's you know, cemented over, concreted, they're coming up. They're coming up. So the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we, if it's we, or those folks that are alive at that particular point in history, future from us, although that future could be tomorrow. Anyway, they're going to rise. And as they rise from the grave, those on on the earth, we're all going up together. We're all going up together at the same time. Nobody is going to get ahead of anybody. Okay? Just like at the grocery store, or tonight at the harvest dinner, there's no budding in line. <laughs> we're all going together. Okay? We're all going up. We're all going up together. And then we will meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air. Okay? Which is different than when the Lord comes back and splits the Mount of Olives. Okay? Uh, different. Very different. And... Lastly, but not least, we will always be with the Lord. This is the first and final trip. We're going there, and we're going there to stay, the believers. Now, let's compare what we've seen so far in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians with 1 Corinthians 15. A book Paul also wrote, and... 
talks about the same event, quite frankly. <clears throat> First Corinthians fifteen fifty to fifty eight. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does this perishable inherit the imperishable, speaking of our physical bodies. Okay? <clears throat> our physical bodies is made for, is, were made and designed by God for this physical life here on earth. Won't make it up there. <laughs> Won't make it up there at all. Totally different, totally different realm. And behold, I tell you, verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, okay, die, pass away. We shall not all sleep, but we shall, <clears throat> but, but all, but, but we, we shall all be changed. And that, that's both dead and alive at that point in time. When the dead come out of the grave, they receive their new body. When those who are alive are raptured at the same time, they are also given a new body. And together we get just snatched up into the air. Okay? And how, does, how long does this take? Well, 50, 52 tells us, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Again, Paul is speaking as if they are going to be the ones alive on earth when it happens. And so the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Changed into that same new body that is required for existence in heaven for eternity. It's going to be an interesting, marvelous thing. Verse 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal have put on the immortality then then will come about the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory that again that is part of the true hope of the believer and that's where even times you know where like in families in our church have loved ones that are on the edge on the brink ready to cross over okay we can this is again something the families, believing families, can take comfort in their believing loved ones when, they, when it's time to pass. And we can say this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There is no, death has zero victory. And, the, and death, where is your sting? The sting is temporary. The sting is not because of future. The sting is because of the present loss. That's the only, the sting is just, Nothing in comparison to eternity. Those that die outside the Lord, the sting is unending because death is unending. Verse 56, the sting of, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... My beloved brethren, be steadfast. And this is, here's the application. If you want the, we'll get the application to the raptures right here in verse 58. How do we apply that to our life? Right here in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. There's, there's how you want to apply the rapture. There it is right there. Better than anything I could say. 
course, God's word is like that. It's just better than any one of us can say it. That, that to me is the best application is the one scripture gives us. Here's how we apply that truth. Again, see, prophecy wasn't written to us to make us fortune tellers or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> it was to let us know our future, to let us know what's going on. And prophecy also, uh, as you see, or as mankind through the ages have seen various prophecies fulfilled, it also increases our personal faith as we walk on this earth. Saving faith should be there, but our personal faith and confidence, if you will, in the word of God, which I hope and trust, hope and used in the physical sense, not the biblical sense, <laughs> which, is, which I, I trust is uh, alive and well in all of us. Okay. Now, back to 1 Thessalonians. In verse, uh, verse 16, where it says, uh, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. But I, must, I want to add, but not all the way to earth. It says, verse 17 says, we're going to meet him in the air. Let's compare that to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 9. And we're going to look at the, the little portion here, 9 to 11, where Christ ascended into heaven. He was speaking to his disciples, and then verse 9 says, After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Those would be angels, by the way. And they also said, and I love this part, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him, watched him go into heaven. So when he comes, he's going to come in the clouds, and then we are going to be just snatched right up to meet him in those very clouds. He's not coming to earth to get us. He's just coming down into the, <laughs> into the atmosphere, if you will, and we are going to be caught up to meet him. So he's not physically returning to earth at the, point of, at the time of the rapture. That will come later, the physical return. Now, it says he's coming with a shout. What's that all about? Well, that's word <clears throat> kelusma is only used here in the New Testament. It's... Uh, and what it is, it's a commanding shout, much like a military commander would shout out an order to his troops. Okay, it's, uh, we can compare that with John, uh, you know, John eleven forty three to 44. We won't turn there, but uh, that, that one's, remember when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus? And he shouted, Lazarus, come forth. That was a shout. It was like a command. And it was, come forth. Okay, that shout. Interesting. Our Lord shouted, Lazarus, who was dead in there, heard it, came out. Now look at John chapter 5. That verse in John chapter 5, 25 to 29. John 5, 25. Twenty-five starts off with a, um, a truly, truly. Matter of fact, there's a bunch of them in this chapter, chapter 5. There's a lot of really important things that Jesus was speaking about 
And so verse 25, he says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the son of man and those who hear shall live. There's an interesting. The, well, shall hear the voice of the son of man and those who hear shall live for just as the father had life in himself. Even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Now, the dead will hear the voice. Now, in Jesus speaking there, you've got the spiritual dead that are hearing even right now. Right now, as in the time Jesus was saying these words, that are hearing and believing. Guess what? You hear, you believe, as in the gospel, you believe you have eternal life. Okay, keep that in mind as we go through there. Verse 27 says he gave him, speaking, the father gave to Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Now think back when this, this term, son of man, does everybody remember what we saw back in Daniel chapter 7? Remember the ancient of days sitting on the throne, then one like the son of man came before him. And then the Son of Man sent. Think of that. When Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, think Daniel 7, the conquering Messiah that's coming to earth. So think Daniel 7. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice. And shall come forth those who did good, to a resurrection of life and those who commit the evil to a resurrection of judgment. Hmm. Two resurrections. One to a resurrection to eternal life. As far as the church is concerned, that happens at the rapture. And then one to everlasting judgment that happens on the other side of the millennial where we see the, what they call the, what was often called the great white throne judgment. And we're going to find out, we'll, we'll read a verse today, but we're going to find out when we go into the, we talk about the millennium, maybe next week, depending on what we do this week. We're going to see there's a third, actually third resurrection. The Old Testament saints, Jews, resurrected brought into that kingdom subject for another day now the voice of the archangel now Michael is the only archangel identified in the Bible at least by name okay Um, and this designation of that is is given uh, in Thessalonians and also in Jude 9 which we really don't need to look at now archangel is a compound word from, you know, archon, meaning chief, uh, you know, talking about rank, power, and then angelos, which is transliterated angel, but that literally means messenger, you know, if you were to just translate it, okay? There's a lot of words in, in the New Testament, especially that are transliterated. Does everybody know the difference between a transliteration and a translation, okay? Well, we use angelos here. Transliteration is angel, Translation is messenger. Okay? 
baptize from baptizo, right? Transliteration. You want to translate baptizo, it's immerse or place into or under, <laughs> okay? So that's, again, that's the difference. So, <clears throat> so now you know something else. Now, now Michael is spoken of in, we don't need to turn there, but he's mentioned by name in Daniel 10 and then 12, Revelation 12. Actually, you know, I'd like to look at the Daniel 10 verse uh, because it gives us a little bit of extra information that uh, from what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, actually. Daniel 10, 13, where it says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me. And this is an angel speaking with Daniel for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, it goes, one of the chief princes. So it sounds like there's probably more archangels than just, than just Michael. But Michael's mentioned a lot, especially in the concerning Israel, because Michael is described as the archangel that fights for Israel. So there's other ones out there. Who knows? Maybe Gabriel's one. I don't know. He's not defined that way. Um, And as far as angels mentioned in Scripture, if we have any Mormons in the house, sorry, Moroni, you don't exist. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> you know there is there is not an at least not one of God's angels. Isn't he? <laughs> you know, there's there is I guess he could exist, but he's not part of God's group. Okay, um, <clears throat> but I digress. Now and then Gabriel, we know about Gabriel. We'll probably read about him come Christmas season. Is the only other angel that's mentioned by name. Okay, there's other angels mentioned and spoken of. As a matter of fact, uh, when it talks about angels, they're often talked about as being myriads and myriads and myriads of them, you know, just thousands and millions of them, as we would say. And now the trumpet of God, that's the one that's kind of interesting, too, in the voice. And I'm just going to read off our notes here that trumpets were used in a variety of situations. Most of them, like in a military setting, it goes like the sounding alarms. Uh, assemble military troops, recall military troops, um, announce a military victory, and then blown in honor of a king. And then their instruments described as being instruments of praise and worship, and also to announce judgment. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, there's a whole series of what's called trumpet judgments. Every time a trumpet is sounded, a judgment is, is it falls. So now the trumpet of God. Now that's the same trumpet that we that was mentioned in in 1 Corinthians 15 too the exact same trumpet because 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians is talking about the same event when we're changed and go up to meet God. Now here's one the trumpet of God used to declare the presence of God. And I think this is yes, I think so. Well, the confusion for that one comes in um, in a lot of different places, depending on the theological background of the people that present it. 
And I don't know if it's the trumpet is mentioned by all the the, the three major divisions or of it. But the the main thing is what they also they read in um, in in the Olivet discourse, where the the Lord takes us. Remember to the middle where the desecration of the temple goes. Some of the mid tribs think it. It happens there. And the post-tribs, they go all the way in and tie the trumpet of God, if you will, with the actual second coming. And so then they, those would be the post-tribulation rapture folks, and um, which really doesn't make sense um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's what's the point? <laughs> you know, going to then come right back with him? I mean be a round trip like hang it go up hang a u-turn come back and again the thing that 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 firms it up for me is the fact that when we stuff we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks the 70 weeks of daniel the tribulation period is the 70th week of years the week being seven years and the church, remember, 70 weeks, are, the angel said, are determined upon your people and your holy city. And in the context of the angel speaking to Daniel, that's got to be Israel. And the holy city's got to be Jerusalem. And that kind of takes the church out of it in that the church was not there during the first 69 weeks why should we expect to be there in the 70th when that is specifically when one of the specific purposes of that 70th week that tribulation period is to purge Israel and bring back Israel to the place where then they will now as they were, should have been doing centuries before they will actually be the ones that are moving the gospel through the earth. Uh, we can look at them. That, to me, that's evidenced by the 144,000. And the fact, too, by the time you get to chapter 5 or 6, but the church is not spoken of till you get way to the end where he comes back. You know, so it's... Now, verse 13 of chapter of first Thessalonians three thirteen, where it says <clears throat> so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints now what that's talking about is when all the saints are gathered together there's a judgment time and he's talking about the people that are alive on the earth going to go up all the saints are the believers Okay, and when he comes back with all his saints, that's referring to the second coming, the actual physical return, where our Christ is seen on the horse, the Revelation 19 on a white horse, and all the people behind him in white robes, those are all the saints. And, those, and what Paul is saying in 13 is, I'm making you ready, so you're going to be, you're ready, you're judged, you're, you'll be part of that group. Okay, and then you get to 14, 
when you get into chapter 4, verses 13, where he talks about the rapture itself, he's addressing a question they had, like about the people that died before. What about them in terms of being called up? So there's two different aspects. And this is where a lot of the confusion starts um, kind of interconnecting verses. And the second coming is always, and it's very easy to confuse the rapture, the event of the rapture as the actual second coming. Now, the rapture is part of the overall doctrine of the second coming or the doctrine of the return of Christ. Okay. And because he's dealing with, he's going to be dealing with the church separately and Israel separately to get us all to the end of the line, that is eternity future. Okay. So so what we've got now is that remember this, the church, think of the church as a parenthesis in a paragraph or in a sentence where in the, but look at this in biblical history, biblical history from creation all the way through the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, you get to Pentecost where the church starts and you go all the way out to whenever that rapture takes place. There's a parenthesis. And inside that parenthesis of time, it's been close to 2,000 years now, that is the church age. All right? And then after the church is raptured, taken out, the parenthesis is removed. It's like you could take that, all that period of history, pull the church out, pop those prophetic passages together, and it's all about Israel. Does that make sense? It's like you take a parenthesis, it's like, here's an additional thought that I'm going to add in to the main storyline. And we're a parenthesis to the main storyline as far as creation to consummation goes. The, the church is a parenthesis. And that was to fulfill, see, that's why the church is called a mystery. Because it was a mystery to the Old Testament saints. They didn't get it that the fact that... Uh, Jew and Gentile worship together? Come on. <laughs> that it, you know, on, on equal footing? No, that, no. They, they didn't get that at all. They didn't get that at all. And so, uh, does that help? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things in, in prophetic passages that they, you get a lot of seemingly conflicts. Well, but it's, again, it's just putting it in, in in the best order you can, you know. So I don't know if, I hope that helps anyway. Because this prophecy is a tricky subject. That's why there's so many theories out there. You know, it's theory. I'll tell you one thing. One of the things that's going to happen when we all get to, we all get to heaven, our eschatology is going to straighten right out. <laughs> Anything we've misunderstood or said wrong or taught wrong, that's going to be ironed out. Okay, I mean, that's one of those areas that I personally give a lot of people at least some leeway on. You know, like I can understand being, having differences of opinions on certain prophetic things. The gospel, no, no room, no room there. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's faith alone in Christ alone. You know, it's, there's no, no wiggle room there. But I can see some differences when it comes to prophecy. 
Okay. Just the way it's presented. I mean, anyway, back to the trumpet of God. Uh, Psalm 47.5 is, uh, I got the whole psalm because the whole psalm was so good. I figured for, for those that actually go home and, because I heard some of the folks even read these things during the week. Um, 47 5 says, God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And this whole Psalm 47, only nine verses, is talking about God being the king of the earth. Okay? And again, the trumpet of God is often used to declare the presence of God. But I'd like to look at the passage in Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Verse 16 through 20. Now here there at the <clears throat> chapter 20 now is, there, is where Moses gets the Ten Commandments, right? So just keep that in mind as far as context goes here. Exodus nineteen sixteen. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Remember, I don't know how many millions there were out there, but loud. You can hear a trumpet, a trumpet blast coming from the mountain. Um, we'll see on top of that too, remember the uh, thunder and lightning flashes. That very, very much shows the power of God there. Verse 17 and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, you imagine that? The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke. And God answered him with thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Can you imagine that? You know, that was, that's amazing. It'd be like a, a trumpet blasting so loud that, you know, all of Grant's past got up. You know? <laughs> I mean, um, it would be a good thing if they did. But anyway... Um, but seriously, that's, but again, that, they, uh, that trumpet, without a doubt, was, uh, in Exodus 19, a trumpet announcing the presence of God. I mean, thunder and lightning also is one of those symbols of God and his power and the, his majesty. You know, and, um, okay, now I want to draw your attention to this second sheet. The, the longer one, where it says a rapture comparison table. Now, there is one that I compared the three passages commonly associated with the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians, First Corinthians, we saw that. Um, I'm going to read John 14 and then just say a little bit about that. John 14, 1 through 6. 
And that's why I, I put the comparison chart, because you can see many com comparative truths there. I, I find it kind of helpful, so I, I thought I'd pass that out to you. There's no extra charge for that. Okay. Let, your, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, okay, <clears throat> unto, unto, unto myself, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. I, I had to keep going on this one. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way we are going. How, how do we know the way? Well, Jesus answered that. I am the way and the truth and the life. So I'm going to stop there for a minute. It says, I am the way. The grammar here strongly implies I am the way as in the only way. I am the truth as in the only truth and the life the only life giver. That's Christ. And to emphasize that, he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. All those people, whether they call themselves Christians or not, says, well, there's, what about the guy? They're sure there's got to be another way. There is no other way. One, period. That's one of those uh, no compromise statements in Scripture. Nothing. Or theologies, I should say. Yes, dear. <laughs> Just now? John 14, 1 through 6. And the part where, now if, if we only had John 14, 1 through 6, um, the, what we know as the doctrine of the rapture would be, we'd be hard-pressed to prove it from John, John 14. But when you compare it now, comparing Scripture with Scripture, okay, that's in fact when it's going to happen. So that's, or that, what, that is what happens, anyway, as far as the church is concerned. So there it is. Now, the comparison chart on here, and then the backside in our waning minutes. And we'll probably make a determination today based upon any questions or comments if this chart back here is going to, is going to be the lesson next week. We saw the rapture of the church spoken about, and I got that on one side, and then the physical return on the other. First, first, comparing the rapture with the actual return. Christ comes in the air and, re, and then returns to heaven. We saw that in First Corinthians 4. Christ comes to the earth to dwell on it to reign, Matthew 25. See, so there's the difference between the rapture and the actual physical second coming. He, he stops in the air, brings us up to meet him. The second coming, he comes down and physically comes to earth and physically assumes his role as king of kings setting up in Jerusalem. And we'll see that when we go into the... <clears throat> and then again, uh, going right down this chart, Christ gathers his people. The angel in, the, in Matthew gathers the elect... Because remember, there's going to be saved people that aren't killed, and the elect will be gathered and brought into the kingdom, the physical kingdom. Many will be Jews, too, and Gentile nations. We'll get into that when we get into the 
that, that subject. And then Christ comes to reward his people. Christ will come to judge the nations. You can see the, the difference there. Um, believers will be taken up. And then believers will be... <clears throat> well, let me look at Matthew 24. Look at Matthew. We're probably in there because we're just about... I don't see anybody storming the gates, but... Uh, Matthew 24, 37. This is one of those passages that gets misunderstood too a lot. Matthew 24, 37 to 41. Okay. For the coming of the Son of Man, verse 24, 37, will be just like the days of Noah. And here's what gets people. For as in those days, which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words... There were, things were going along it was business as usual, okay? Even though we know through Peter that Noah, in that, what, 120 years building that ark, and according to Peter, was a preacher of righteousness. So he was preaching and they weren't listening, okay? That's, that's the inference we get. You put all, again, get all the scripture and put them together. And they were, again, giving a marriage and until the day Noah into the ark. Verse 39, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. <clears throat> so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And it goes on. So there shall be two men in the field, the one will be taken and the other be left. Two women grinding, the one will be taken away and the other one will be left. So people, oh, that's the rapture. No, that's not. The ones taken away, again, as in the days of Noah... Verse 39, and they did not understand until the flood came and swept them, took them all away. And who was left? The eight members of Noah's family. Same thing when, when Jesus comes. <clears throat> Those that are called the elect will remain alive. Those that are not of the elect, the sinners, will be taken away into judgment. See, that's what that's talking about. That's where it's different. In the rapture, it's the, basically it's the church saints just taken up out of this earth, and then God moves into the next phase of, of uh, history where the tribulation period starts, judgment, and then, the, then after, after that time is expired, that seven-year period, then the kingdom will be set up. Make perfect sense? Does it make any kind of sense? <laughs> and then um, <clears throat> the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation period. And then the physical return of Christ takes place at the end of the tribulation period. And you can read about that in Revelation 19. So with that, and we'll close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, and we thank you for your scriptures, and we, we recognize, Lord, as we go through these prophetic passages that they do get kind of difficult at times and even seemingly contradictory. But, Lord, as we know as we're faithful and we continue just to read and study that uh, your, your word become clear. And again, Lord, we just thank you for these folks and their interest in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.